Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Celtics are here flagship podcast. We're making this a, a regular thing, Quinny, now. Celtics getting a wee bit of a rhythm, as are you and I. We're here after another Champions League. You know, I don't want to call it a disappointment, um, because I think we're going to look at this really in-depth over this and try and put a bit of a positive spin on it. Um, looking forward to next season, there's no doubt about it that we were a wee bit hopeful, maybe too hopeful getting into this competition. Um, you and I were in the mix zone after the game on Tuesday night and we could see the the disappointment even in the Celtic players coming out, um, especially Rio Hitati, who we saw look absolutely gutted when he was doing his member those laps around the pitch. Yeah. Maybe flip flops on. Um immediately after the game though, what was your thoughts? Um I, I felt a bit gutted, much like probably Rio Hitati did after the game. I think everyone was pretty gutted in the immediate aftermath of it because it was in our hands, you know, we were winning, you know, and um it's a, yeah, it's a very disappointing game because I was saying kind of in the build-up to it and, you know, we were chatting after the game, as you were saying, but, like, it was always going to come down to the two games against Shakhtar and, um, you know, the, for the campaign being a failure, they're the games where you look at in terms of where we've really dropped the ball because when the draw is made, yeah, like, again, to, to say this in the kindest possible way, people that are maybe less aware see Leipzig and go, oh, well, Rangers knocked them out last year. We, you know, we can we can fight with them. And Real Madrid, yeah, they're not the behemoth of old. All of that is on the face of it relatively true. But when you do look at the draw, Shakhtar is a game where you expect points home and away, where Celtic should be going toe-to-toe, should be putting some sort of stamp on the campaign in those games. And then the other games are the ones where you really yardstick the team and go, oh, how far away are we? And how, where is the room for growth in the team, if that makes sense? So... For us to be winning that game and then ultimately to finish with another draw and eliminated ultimately, it was just that was just a sore one. It was just oh, kicking the balls. As <laughs> yeah, one of the, the lucky people going to Madrid next week, I think even some of us were just hoping that there was maybe something to cling on to and it wasn't going to be a dead rubber. Um, obviously, Real Madrid haven't confirmed top spot in the group yet, I don't think, um, after Leipzig beat them um, the other night. So Leipzig were looking to beat Shakhtar. Um, Shakhtar's still, I think, in with a shoot, a, a finishing second in the group. So that's a big, big game for both those teams. And obviously, Real Madrid will want to finish top, so they'll, they'll be wanting to beat Celtic. Um, feeding all that in, Quinny, you know, I think I've already discussed on here before about looking at the group when it was drawn, people's expectations, looking at it. Um, I think we've already spoken in terms of Leipzig with this after one of the two games. I had a look at Shakhtar yesterday. Um, obviously, a team in massive transition, lost a lot of players due to the, the conflict in Ukraine through no fault of their own um, and at this time looking at Shakhtar as a team, I had a look at their European kind of record over the past 10 years or so um, just to get a flavour of where they're at as a club because I find it really really interesting at this point in time that Angie Postacoglu continually talks about Celtic competing at this level on a consistent basis, you know, it's well-documented. Celtic hadn't been in the tournament for five years. Um, I think we managed to stop the record the other night of the, the, the most defeats at, at home in the competition. I think the record was eight. Wow. We managed to get that draw, so that, that would have been a, a, a record um, had we had we not drawn or, or won the game. And so we managed to put that hoodoo to bed. Um, but in terms of those comments from Ange Postacoglu about Celtic competing at this level on a consistent basis, Shakhtar, to give some of our um, listeners a, a flavour of them, I think over the past 11 years, Quinny, 
have qualified for the group stages of the Champions League on at least 10 occasions out of 11 years, which is a great record. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of transition in those teams. Um, at a point, I think they've reached the quarter-final, possibly in two occasions. They've certainly reached the last round of 16 and maybe two or three. Um, but just in terms of that, you know, we, we don't want to compare Celtic to other teams, but in terms of consistency and longevity in the competition, um, I know Bruges is one that, that people have been wanting to draw uh, comparisons to. They got hammered last night with Porto um, mm. at home. But take the team out, the players, the personnel, whatever, it's just about that consistency. That That's the only thing I want to see drawing a comparison but with Celtic t- towards these teams is that consistently consistency um, in the level of football. And I think to do that, you know, one season is not going to to um to fix it, you know. Uh, whatever that that old phrase is about swans in summer, it's not coming to my mind here on, on the spot. Um, so yeah, just in terms of that, Quinny, give us your thoughts and what I'm talking about there in terms of consistency at this level. Um, and, and those comparisons drawn between teams like Shakhtar and Bruges. Well, for, for me, when as I'm kind of looking across all the group stages. Uh, like all the kind of tables at the moment, like the main clubs that are in, no, the, the clubs that are in the same position as us in terms of they've probably not featured in the Champions League very often over the last five years is Copenhagen two points, Maccabi Haifa three points, us two points, Zagreb maybe have actually been in it a fair amount, but they always get whipped. But they're on four points. Hmm. Bruges, as you mentioned, who are on ten. Victoria Pilsen, who have got zero. So that's the kind of, you know, when you are coming in to play a first seed and a second seed that are routinely Shakhtar aside, when you're coming in to play like the Bayerns, the Inters, even the Portos and the Madrids, Liverpools and these types of teams, you know, um, it's, you know, they're fully like acclimatised to the level and to the competition. And that's why the first and second seed invariably do dominate their game because the third and fourth seed, which is us in this kind of scenario, have things that are unyet determined or as of yet undetermined, you know, like can can like individual players step up? Can people win a game? All that kind of thing hasn't come into it yet. The, the teams that we want to be drawn a contemporary with, teams like Sport and Lisbon, I guess you'd maybe even say Sevilla, Benfica, I guess where Bruges sit at the moment is a Champions Lever- League campaign. Leverkusen, probably another one after playing them last year. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. Um these these teams as well, like for them, a big part of it, and I, I've seen this on like uh, I made some content on my YouTube and TikToks and all that kind of stuff yesterday. Is like there's proper cohesion in their teams. You know when they go and fair enough in modern day football, you need a squad of twenty plus, and you do need to uh, game manage and minute manage and all that stuff, of course. But um, even when they're going through these cycles, their domestic performances don't really change too much, and that's something that we've all been quite aware of that. After the first, like, that, you, you, you'll remember really well, and hopefully everyone kind of watching and listening this will remember as well, but there was a lot of chat early season about this extended pre-season that we had with no midweeks and no qualifiers. We are just going weekend to weekend, and that was Apex Celtic this season. That's when we were killing teams. We were scoring for fun. You could make five subs at the 60th minute. And tempo wouldn't change. Standard would maybe get up on some occasions. And since then, if you actually go and look at all the starting 11s, and a lot of this stuff is been forced upon us with like injuries to Carter Vickers, to Starfell, even Jens was injured and sick for a while, even Welsh was sick for a while when he was on form. Um, never mind going further up into the team, all those well-documented problems. So since that period there, like not that the wheels have come off the wagon, but probably all the wheels, all the bolts on them have came a bit loose 
and everything's just a bit rickety and a wee bit. Yeah, it still kind of is going in the same direction, but it's kind of veering off and it's maybe not totally in control anymore. And these other teams have had that to a greater and lesser extent, having watched some of them to greater and lesser extents. But we have been quite... Um, we've been quite a uh, victim to, to that. I think like that was my main takeaway from that Shakhtar game is like, there was great spells where everyone played brilliant, but it was like for two minutes from Rio here. And then at the end of the game, uh, the 60th minute before Kyogo gets subbed, he looked really good for about five minutes. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it wasn't all linked up and it wasn't succinct. And it was just, it, it was like the first game of the group stage. You know, that's what it was like. It was as if we just started the campaign and it was like, oh, as a you know, that was the kind of feeling I got from the actual performance in terms of the cohesion of the team. Yeah, I think even people would look at you know previous games, even the game over in, in Warsaw against Shakhtar, the home game against Real Madrid, etc., etc., and looking at the performance and saying Tuesday night was by no means Celtic's best performance in the competition. Yet they still managed to draw out it. Um, I draw that probably could have been defeat if you look at the balance of chances in the game. Um, Celtic did create, but we didn't create like we have been um, in, in previous games. And obviously, I think everybody's seen that stat going about that Celtic's practically scored a, a goal every 22 shots. Um, yep. You know, and for, for those of us out there that, that love XG, including myself, that is one that's a tear your head out, a tear your hair out one. Uh, but just in terms of other teams, Quinn, at this point in time, um, because I think it's important to understand the balance of European football at this point in time, where Celtic's at, where we need to get to. The other teams heading out the Champions League in, in week five, along with ourselves. Ajax being one, but you know, a team that Celtic get compared to lots and lots of times. Um, Atletico Madrid won, who was a real shock surprise in, in real uh, crazy fashion um, last night with the penalty miss, hitting the crossbar. Etc. Etc. Uh, Leverkusen. Um, I think they're possibly at the Champions League. I need to double check that one. I know Barcelona certainly one of the big guns who are out. Um, yeah. Pilsen, you already mentioned, and um, they've got the second worst goals conceded record in the competition. I think minus seventeen, only bettered by Rangers in minus eighteen. Um, right. Copenhagen uh, is another team that you've mentioned heading out, and another one of the big guns is Juventus. Um, probably the shocks in there are, are, are Barcelona and Juventus. I know we're here to talk about Celtic, but it just shows you, um, just to kind of diverge away from our main talking point, but Barcelona's, to me, a real crazy one, Quinny, and that they deferred all that TV rights money to make the signings that they did in the summer, the summer under Xavi. Um, it was a tough group when you looked at it coming out, you know, Inter and, and Bayern Munich, but when you take such a big risk, you're looking for it to pay off. And that's yeah. certainly not happened for Barcelona this season. Barcelona are very much in the same situation as us in that respect, that they've just got too many players vying for the same positions. And for different reasons, they've just not they've just not uh, jailed in. Like Javi's Barcelona last year was much better in that respect. That like you knew that they would get to like the 60, 70th minute and they would probably find a couple of goals if they hadn't got them already. Whereas this year, like I haven't watched them as close, but they definitely do. I, I just know with the amount of players that they've got fighting for the front three positions, it's just crazy. Um, but Inter Milan in, in Bayern, you know, um, you know, I, I just want to come back to Benfica, for example, because I've heard a lot of people. I was listening to a, a lot of fan media stuff as we were leaving uh, after I left you and uh, left the game, and I always just like to try and get myself out of my head and try and hear what everyone else is kind of saying and whatever. And when it does come to like, the Ajaxes and the Benficas, one thing that I hear, whether it's comments and streams or people on screen or whatever, 
is like, aye, they spend all this on wages and all the rest of it, right? But see, see Benfica, I can't remember exactly how it is. This is a little bit of a dated um, statistic, if you like. But a couple of years ago, there was a big um, thing about them within coaching circles because they'd hired their first ever youth coach in like 23 years or something. Benfica, this is. And that's from like under nines all the way through to under 21s. They just don't, they, you know, that's a very close-knit operation from start to finish, you know. And that's why Benfica, like, ahead from aside from, like, head coaches and any, like, star transfers or whatever, but that's why the bedrock of that team is always copy-paste, you know. Benfica are always going to be all right somehow. Um, and Ajax come into that mould as well, which is where the whole infrastructure of the club is just, like, to a rhythm, to a song. Um, you know, and Barca, you know, kind of, I suppose, have that a little bit... Um, but they've just got too many people there at the moment. But that's also a part of this that we've been missing because as we are discovering that identity, like you were saying, like um, the thing about, is it one swallow doesn't make a summer? Is that what it is? I, I know you said about swans. Right, yeah. But, yeah there's, um, something about, there's something about swans, but I think it's a swallow, that's right. Yeah. But we've only had like maybe four or five months of good ange ball last season. This season we had that nice little period, that extended pre-season, if you like, and then it's been, you know, the kind of, the catalogue of situations that have happened thereafter. But, you know, every one of these are teams, when you look at them, and if you were to rip them open and really look at their squad and look at their coaching staff and everything, like, we've had some mad level of upheaval. And like you were saying there, for the XG to be as high as it is and uh, for the goals, it's that's a brilliant place. It really is. It's a brilliant place to be because, like, we've been into... And we've had tougher groups, obviously, right? But we've been into groups and we've not had... 64 shots at all. We've even had a sniff of two shots a game. You know, I remember those nights. And that's like, wow, like we've got so far to go. Whereas now, like, we're just that far away. We've not had Jota, you know. We've not had McGregor. Two huge parts of the team. Everything Starfield. Starfield too. You know, and, and to be like, we are that away. Like, luck, that's where we are away, really. Um, in terms of some of the chances hitting posts and somebody just catching it by the right side of their boot and... Mm. Stuff like that's all that's really been the difference across the campaign, which is uh, a great is that the but is that the biggest frustration? And I think it's why we're all feeling so frustrated. And it's more frustration and disappointment, and that you've seen how close we've got. And just possibly Quinn, if we were at the, the point that we're maybe talking about those kind of games that you remember back, and it's sluggish, and you're maybe holding a team down, you're getting absolutely battered, and maybe you only lose one nil. I, I would much rather be in the position that we are just now. And looking towards something that's there, because I think we're only going to add to it um, and take another level up. Who we don't know that's going to be, but it's definitely going to happen. And yeah. from everything we've led to believe, do you think that's the biggest frustration? As we've seen how close we've got, and it's just at that point, it's just not happened. Add into the mix of that, Starfield, Jota, Callum McGregor, and also Cameron Carter Vickers, I think, over in uh, Leipzig, wasn't it? Vickers didn't start. Yeah. Yeah, I, again, again uh, away to Leipzig, it was Jens and Welsh that started centre-back, you know. And they weren't even, you know, they were actually pretty good in that game. They weren't yeah, even really part of best performers, I think. Yeah. yeah, you know, so I, I think laying it all out, all things considered, I don't, it is just disappointing the actual record that we're leaving the, the campaign with and whatever. But as I said in one of those little TikTok things, like um, the worst advice you can ever get in your professional life, and it doesn't matter what your job is, is just keep doing what you're doing because whenever you're after advice and whenever you're trying to progress, you want something new to, to get better at or you want something to improve on. But when you're at that stage of you are just doing everything right, you just need to keep going. That for a lot of people, for a lot of teams, for a lot of clubs, whatever, that can be hard because that's just about self-motivation and really grinding in and digging in and pushing and making 
you know, the that two percent go in your favor. And when you're looking at that kind of that, that bigger picture with that, it's important that you've got a manager who believes in you, which the players all certainly feel and they certainly believe in his philosophy. And I think that's incredibly important that that possibly you know, two seasons ago, I think Celtic in Europe, that there was a complete lack of identity. Great going up to an illness and zero, it then yeah. collapses. Um, you know, take those results against Lille out of it. Games against Sparta Prague. You know, Celtic looked miles off bang average European teams two seasons ago. Last season, we looked okay. Um, I think last season was probably too early to judge just due to that upheaval that you probably mentioned, Quinny. This season, getting into the, the, the Champions League was exciting. But in terms of what you're talking about with infrastructure, and and this is not to to try and um, you know make excuses for it for Ange Postecoglou. When you take the flip of that, infrastructure comes from the people at the very top of the football club, and if you've not had a consistent and you know you you mentioned cohesion with other clubs there, plan through the years. This is how you've ended up at this point, and it's about fixing those rights and wrongs. Obviously, uh, we've got a new CEO that, that heads the board now. Um, We've got a manager who's completely different from our previous manager. It is about having that plan for the future and being one step ahead of the game, which Celtic at European level haven't been for a long time. And that's about when you get that Champions League money, it's fantastic, it's great. How do you use it? Where does it get invested into? Does it go a bit into the youth football? Does it go into the first team? Does it go into scouting? Wherever it goes, it's used properly to build forward for the Champions League. It's not just used to say, okay, feet up, let's win the league title, and that's it, we're not bothered with the Champions League. Domestic football is Celtic's bread and butter, it will always be, but for us as fans, you know, with the highs of 67, with those years under Steen, getting to quarterfinals, semi-finals, for the run under Martin, we want Celtic to be ambitious and try and make inroads in European football. I don't think there's been a better opportunity for us to do that over the last like twenty years since the kind of I I think the striking era we did well obviously in that but I think that was like you know we kind of went against the the trend qualifying from that group and getting into and the we weren't team. we weren't really building towards yeah. anything under under Gordon you know no disrespect to Gordon he'd probably even admit that himself and that's why you know the, the wheels effectively came off it in that kind of fourth season yeah done fantastically well domestically. You know, performed tremendously well in the Champions League, but it wasn't really building for something. And then, you know, after four years, Gordon was gone and came Tony, and you were out in your backside uh, against Arsenal. Yeah. And uh, like, because, like, since after the O'Neill era and, like, the real invention of, like, proper money in football, you know, transfers for hundreds of millions and all that kind of stuff, like, since kind of, like, O'Neill and then all that kind of, like jacked up football finances that have happened over the last 20 years. It has has really drowned us out of the player market, you know, and there's been a lot of reimagining having to go on across European football. And like like you've just said there, we've kind of stumbled through the last 10, 15 years. And I think we've referenced this in a, a podcast not too long ago, but with some of the back back level, the backroom stuff that's been happening under Postacoglu and, uh, and that kind of stuff, it, it does feel that we're we're finally kind of waking up and smelling the coffee to like how we can actually. You know, there's plenty of examples of people that don't spend you know hundreds of millions to go and sign Neymar and whatever that can get to semi-finals and quarter-finals of the Champions League these days. And um, it feels like we're overall trying to take that approach. And it's great to see these signs of progress, like the the way we are. And it, it does frustrate us immensely. But it is um, 
it feels like for the first time anyway, or under the manager and the way we're squad building now, that that is the that is the approach that we're trying to take with like the kind of blend of youth and, and experience that he's brought in and released, you know, over the time that he's been here. Because even like under Ronnie Dyla, like I thought, do you know what? It feels like we're just melding into being a Europa League club. That was chat from like a few years. Like we're just I totally agree with you in that. I totally agree with you in that. And the Saints were there for two of, seasons. That was kind of okay for like a season because if that gets you a base, like and we've seen with, with plenty of clubs, if you can have a season or two in Europa League and get to quarters and semis, then that's maybe something to build on going into Champions League. That's when some clubs maybe move into that division, like Salzburg <laughs> and uh, Seville and Ajax and these types of guys. They've all done well in Europa League, notably over the last like five, six years. Shakhtar as well won it within the last 10 years as well, I'm sure. Um, but even, even when I think back to our previous manager who had managed in the Champions League, Brendan Rodgers, under that as a plan, when Celtic had complete domestic superiority, we were the dominant side, winning everything in our way, it's that the best years I've had supporting Celtic, we didn't make any sort of impact in European football. No. Um, really, until actually the, the final season in that quadruple, Trevor, when Neil Lennon came in and we topped a group for the first time in Europa League and looked as if yeah. we might do something in the knockouts um, until Copenhagen came to, to Celtic Park. But kind of looking at those years, you know, after the first season, we had City, Gladbach, and Barcelona in the group. Um, what did we finish on that season? Three points in the group stages? Two draws against City and one against Gladbach? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, three points we finished in that season. And in the following season, we get the the, the, the away result to Anderlecht that I don't think any of us expected. We get beat at Celtic Park by them. Because we've got the better head-to-head, but we're through. I think the other teams in the group that season were Bayern Munich and PSG. That's right, yeah. both... They beat us home and away both team times, so we finished in three points that group. So it was the same, except we progressed through to the the um, Europa League last thirty two. And in both those campaigns, looking at the, the January window, Celtic failed to strengthen at all, which all feeds into this. You know, the the reason why we're not, you know, at that consistent level that Ange Postecoglou is looking at, is due to previous misdemeanors and not backing the manager, and that's why. Come January time, whether, you know, when this had this chat last week, when we were saying, whether we were still in European football, whether that be Champions League, Europa League, whatever it would be, or whether we're out, which is the case now, we still need to bring in who we had identified to bring in. Yeah. And I feel that in previous seasons, that just wasn't the case, which gives me hope at this point that we have got that cohesion within the boardroom to the management level that we're building something towards. Um, that, that consistent plan because it makes perfect sense for Celtic to be in the Champions League the money that we get in Scottish football isn't there it's where we need to be and we, we need that finance to strengthen properly um, but what is your thoughts on that would you, would you agree with what I'm saying there as that example of Brendan totally. only four or five years ago yeah, because like under under Brendan Lennon and Dyla, I think we we got through past Christmas like maybe four out of five years or something. We had Inter Milan in the group, the knockouts. We had Zenit, we had Valencia. Um, those three were between Dyla and Rogers, um, and I think there might have been another one. But then obviously Lennon, as you say, so. But again, if you look at those squads and you think who still actually is here, who's played Inter Milan in, in the last sixteen? Europa League, who's played Zenit, who's played, you know, all the like Lazio away, you know, getting that victory. How many players are actually left from that? And it's very, very few. Like two, McGregor and Forrest, must be two. You know? So any kind of green shoots that we've had, 
over, even over the last like three or four years, like the current squad outside of the two, three players that are knocking around, Forrest McGregor, probably the easy picks there. Um, I, no one else was there for it. It's just us, you know, it's the fans, the players don't, you know, and that's, that's kind of, you know, the mismanagement of years gone by is maybe a little part of why the team is so green coming into this because like, and again, it's not even as if like, oh, if we had Edward or Encham or anything mad like that, I'm not saying if we had any of these guys, it'd have been any better or any different. But the difference you see Forrest, for example, when he comes into any of these matches compared to Abada, it doesn't actually do much better than Abada, but he's present in the match. He's happy to take on the ball. You notice him interfering with play. And with Abada, for example, who registered 157 Champions League minutes this season, other than that scuff shot that ultimately ends up with Jack and Mac scoring last night or the night before, I don't remember anything about has done this Champions League campaign whatsoever. You know, as an example, uh, you know. Yeah, no, and uh, looking at our squad, you know, that's uh, the inexperience of it because even if we even had players who had been around the building for maybe three, four seasons, um, I'm thinking a guy like Stephen Wells possibly who came into the Celtic side under uh, Neil Lennon towards the end of that kind of quadruple treble run yep. that was his first taste at the Champions League Greg Taylor was signed that season first taste at the Champions League so even the kind of if you go from guys like Abada who's obviously 21 there's a lot to come there from Leal Abada same goes for Matt O'Reilly and the same goes for a couple of boys but even people who's been there for a wee while now you know I mentioned Taylor I've mentioned Wales um, but, but lad Scott being in the mix why not because he played over in Valencia and stuff yeah. there's been no really consistent runner pattern in European football at all for these guys to do the, you know, find a level in it and get better, which is exciting in the terms of the guys that I've mentioned there, Abada, O'Reilly, um, we can even add, I think, Neil Hattat into that mix. Um, yeah, yeah. The other night, it looks as if his mind had gone, I think he knew that, but a point um, when he was just kind of in the middle of the park, when he, and it was like a two-yard pass, it was like, just take the ball off me, please, I don't want the ball. Um, and, you know, but again, I keep going back to it. He's only been playing professional football for two years. These are experiences which he needs at this point. So it's about progressing in, in that case of... There's youth in the Celtic side, which is only going to get better. But for guys like Taylor and whatnot, um, th this experience just now is going to help them. Even guys like Kyogo and Yakimakis, who are towards the, the later part of their 20s, are still going to thrive off this because for them as footballers that they've not had that consistency at this level, and it's at that level most footballers want to be playing um, their football at. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and, and you know, like it's not as if I'm saying, I just want to kind of clarify in case anyone's uh, typing any mad anger comments, but like what I basically mean when I'm, I'm kind of saying that and we're kind of referring to this is like, if you think about even just that, even just the posture that you get from what the Forests and the McGregors have kind of walked the walk and seen it, if you could sprinkle that into the rest of the team, we probably do get a 5-10% better output from them. And unfortunately, there's no shortcut to that. I think the manager's kind of alluded to that same kind of point where, you know, sometimes you just need to take your bumps and bruises. And I think, again, we've spoke about that before. Not a, not an overnight fix, etc. That's what he's yeah. spoken about. But again, and like, are, um, on the minute thing, sorry to, uh, on the minute thing, Jota is, Jota's missed the last two Champions League games. Out of any attacking player, he has the most Champions League minutes this season. You know, so over the whole campaign, like Maeda is the third most minutes in the Champions League this season, you know. So um, behind Jota and Kyogo, so it's 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 that one that everyone is everyone has taken a benefit from this this year, I think, and it is just unfortunate that we're having to wait till probably like 
next September or something to see Champions League mm. football again or whatever. What, what I was going to say, there was both you and I also, just to kind of clarify the point, aren't saying that Celtic in terms of infrastructure investment into the team need to wait four or five years. We're not just going to you know pluck up excuses, say for both here in a year's time um, on the podcast or whatever, or on Twitter or wherever we are, saying you know another excuse or whatever. I think both you and I expect to see progress with Celtic in the Champions League next year and not a campaign similar to this. Um, because I think both you and I understand, and there'll be a lot of Celtic fans out there too, that as you alluded to, Quinny, they had to take your bumps and bruises this season. But then experiencing the squad, the fact we hadn't been in the competition for so long and, and whatnot, we've still got the bear now, but we've not taken any doings, which has been a kind of consistent theme in the Champions League. I was in Munich for that 3 0 game and it was free gone in nine yeah. or ten. Realistically, you know, it was it was not pretty to watch. And um, thankfully the old Hofbrow and the Augustiner had been given it Wally earlier in the day. So we were all right in terms of that. But <laughs> in terms of the, the, the game as a piece, not one I would remember too well. No. But you're hoping that the next season that maybe when you do have a McGregor that drops out and you can't replace your captain, we all know that. But looking at the Celtic midfield on Tuesday evening, you know, there was a, a lot of inexperience in terms of O'Reilly, Hatati, and even Haxabanovic in there, who's not fully up to speed yet. Um, and it would be interesting, I read some of Angie's comments and Haxabanovic, Moy and Abelgaard particularly, who said that all three of them were signed to basically peak in the second half of the season. So you brought guys in, not expected to do too much of a job for you at this point. And yet there they are playing in the Champions League. So the point I'm trying to get there that maybe when you do lose a Jota or a McGregor or a Starfield, and it's no disrespect to any of the guys who've came in, because I've all think, thought that anybody who's came in, particularly Matt O'Reilly, who was man of the match the other night, I think yeah, he's just been absolutely fine at the back. Um, see Kyle go playing that left-hand side the other night. That maybe when they do drop out, or you improve their level, that you maybe don't miss it as much. I'm not having a conversation about Callum McGregor or Jota being out of the team. Do you understand what I'm getting at by that? I think yeah. the squad is fairly decent at this point in time, but I don't think it's a finished article by any means. And I don't think Ange Postacoglu is quite happy to put his feet up come the January transfer window and pour himself a, a, a malt because that's what he drinks, by the way. He's already said this. He likes <laughs> a bit whiskey, much like myself. He's not going to put his feet up and pour himself a malt and think, I'm done, this will be fine. He's going to go and improve. He knows yeah. that, and it's how you—it's about you know being from a, a good team to an excellent team. It's about elite level sport. That's why Harry Kills there. He wanted to show that we weren't yeah. going to stop that old cliche that we know at Celtic so well, mm -hmm. and that's why. But we're going to go out and improve, and that we're not going to maybe feel that loss next season if we're in the Champions League. Yeah, no, totally. And I think like uh, unfortunately because of, and again if you go back and you have a look at the elevens that we've been starting with really since that after that opening kind of period of the season. Like, if we had, like, a full season, if we had had a normal season, I'm sure the manager would want to pick different teams and set these situations up in a controlled environment where it's like, right, okay, we're playing without Callum today. Go and solve the problems. Go and win as a match by playing this way. Or, okay, we're playing with Keogh, go and Jack and Marcus today. This is how we're going to score here, you know, and allow, it, uh, allow all these things to gel in bed. So then tactically, what the manager wants to do is have all that up his sleeve so it goes, right, Shakhtar at home, I'm playing Giacomakis and Kyogo, and everyone knows, right, cool, this is how we're going to do it. And I'm not saying that they wouldn't have known going into the last night, but it is, like, it is rehearsal. It's the, first time, it's the first time I've seen it. It's patterns of play. It's knowing, oh, me and him are really good at linking up in this pass. Like, Giacomakis' attempted assist for Kyogo, 
I'd never thought he had a pass like that in him, and it blew me away. I was like, wow, no look, through ball, breaking the lines, playing it into the box on the angle. Loved it from him. And I think he's really, I think it was probably his best performance I've seen from him, like outside of getting a hat trick or whatever, you know. Um, I forgot where I started with all that, sorry. <laughs> I think you were kind of in the point of just looking at, you know, the, the squad being up to being up to speed, but, but I think it was yeah. probably oh, the yeah. point you were actually getting at, Quinny. And me and you did discuss that St. Murn game on here last week. And I think you probably put them into the mixer at the World Cup, which I've mentioned on here before, that having the, the games so few and far between each other, keep going back to Leipzig, six days between that yeah. back-to-back, uh, back-to-back tie. There's not been a lot of time to, to really get a squad who was inexperienced coming into it, right into the competition, which has zapped Celtic's rhythm in domestic football too. Yeah, for sure. Uh and th- thanks for keeping me back on point now. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I think the manager does want to, like, yeah, he will use the whole squad. He's not made any secret of that. And I think he's been forced to overuse it. And I think that's been the real, I think that's really been the letdown when it's been all said and done over both the Shakhtar games and maybe one of the Leipzig games we could have done a bit better to this point. Just through, I say things, in those, particularly Leipzig away, um, things that are out of our control uh, as much as anything, you know. So, I think, like, yeah, that, that's the kind of thing I want to see for the season going forward is, like, I still want to see all these different combinations of players in different situations. And it may not be he ever starts again, for example, with Kyogo and Jack and Marcus, but maybe we see, oh, when it's, like, you know, we're playing a, a top six team and it's drawn at the 70th minute, that's how we go up a gear sometimes or, you know, in, in, um, in that, that kind of idea because that's, yeah, that's what's going to be exciting for the rest of the season, really, in terms of being a Celtic fan, because we expect to win most games now, and by all accounts, there's really no excuse now for, like, a fixture pile-up is going to ease off massively, you would expect, with us having no midweeks after the World Cup. Yeah, and even though there's going to be a lot of fixtures in January, which have became... We're not too used to with the winter break. The players are going to go out. We are talking about this. They're going to go to Sydney first. They're going to play Sydney FC and Everton over there. Then they're going to go to a, a warm winter training camp in Portugal. One of the confirmed fixtures is going to be Reigns. So they should hopefully be coming back full fire. And I think the first trip's about to Petodian the 17th of December. And you'll want to see probably a different animal coming into games there. And before that January break, then you add in what you've got in January. We've got that semi-final to look forward to against Kilmarnock at Hamden. Um, and it's just about really kicking on and getting to that point and then gelling the guys in that you bring in January into your team that by the time August, September rolls around and hopefully we're in the Champions League again that it's just a seamless transition and they go and they're absolutely fine that seamless transition just now Quinny I would argue works in the league we've just yet to see it work totally in the Champions League which comes down to that wee bit of inexperience and maybe just not being at the point that some players want to be at and Going back to Shakhtar, one of the things that impressed me most about them the other night was their setup and how they interacted off the ball. I thought they were absolutely excellent off the ball, Shakhtar, which is something that you know you maybe don't see too too often from us at, at this level of European football. I think it was a four five one formation that they were playing, yeah. And off the ball, they were they were just excellent, and even the way they just kind of zapped the energy outselled it in the early parts of the game. What was your thoughts just in in, in Shakhtar? off the ball is that something that we probably need to look at um, in the Champions League next season I think it was a bit of a perfect storm for them because like you say that kind of 4-5-1 shape and again I'll, I'll probably just plug it properly since it's the last time I need to reference it but if you search 23001 on TikTok I did a little video about this when it's like they did a 
so with the midfield three and the back four, they basically, and anyone who was at the game would have definitely seen this, but um, they basically made like a box of five players with one in the middle, all across their defensive, kind of uh, in, in front of their defensive line with the midfield three, if you can imagine this with me explaining it. And um, without, but because of the way Rio and O'Reilly wanted to play, and Kyogo, Kyogo for the most part in build-up play was getting on, onto, the, onto the defensive line quite close to Jack and Marcus. So it was really crowded for us to get through the middle and they just forced us to do everything out wide and for their main attack to be, you know, running a space on the break with two or three bodies. It was just, we we couldn't have, you know, we didn't change the way we played until uh, guys like Moy and, and Forrest and that came on. Turnbull, for example, like when Turnbull came on, he was going into the middle of the pitch and demanding to get on the ball. We never really had any of that until Turnbull came on. And I think Turnbull came on with like five, ten minutes ago. It wasn't very long. He didn't really have much of an opportunity to do anything. Not that I'm saying he would have had he been given longer, but um, we didn't have any of that. You know, Rio frustrated everyone because when he was on the ball in the middle of the pitch, he wants to turn and give it to someone else so then he can move up the pitch and then try and link with Taylor and Haksabanovic or whoever was on the left at that point. Um, and that's it's Shakhtar because they'll just watch him move into position and mark him. And then the defence have got the ball and now they're looking at three marked players, and it's like, right, okay, we dare you to pass it somebody, you know? <laughs> and that's just and, suits Shakhtar. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I, again, Rio, in terms of the word frustration that we, we keep going back to, we, we saw how his quality at Tynecastle for talking sake, and, and sat him, we know what he can do, but when it's just not happening for him, it's just like, game's a bogey here, just just forget it. Um, yeah. Which is really, really frustrating. And again, even that point in Turnbull coming off the bench, Celtic's kind of like that attacking option in midfield, just with be, be Callum McGregor being out and O'Reilly kind of dropping into that pivot role, not being the kind of playmaker in midfield. So there's a lot of food for thought in that. Um, last 20 minutes or so, Quinny, let's kind of look look towards Livingston um, on on Sunday. Uh, we, we got we got to talk to, yeah, there's not many, I don't think there's anybody who probably goes away at Livingston <laughs> apart from you. Um, back to the, the spaghetti ad, Tony Macaroni Arena, under Davey Martindale. Um, listen, they got a great result last week, Livingston. Ibrook's um, probably unlucky, maybe not to actually win the game. Um, but just to kind of come on to James Forrest's comments on Tuesday evening after the game when, when you and I both spoke to him, uh, when I kind of asked him about Celtic players not getting too up or down with the results in European football and just kind of getting back to domestic ways. And he said, I think that's what's good with Celtic. If you go for a bad result or a bad game or that, there's always a game a couple of days later to put it right. I think that's the kind of attitude you're always going to have with Celtic, that a couple of days down the line, there's another big game and there's no chance to dwell in performances or results. There's absolutely no... We had that wee... We'll call it a wee run of form. You know, Hibs, Motherwell and Hearts, just about getting back to domestic action and then being in a good positive mindset to, to go to the Bernabeu on, on next Wednesday evening um, and, you know, keeping that same positivity and saying we're going to have a go and play football. Yeah, I think that's probably the best way to attack it. And the Livingston game, actually, I, I think the manager set up a rotation pattern so that if we did get the result where we would have liked against Shakhtar, he would have probably ran with the same team that played... Let me check the Hearts team again. Yeah, I think he'd have probably played the same team that played against Hearts um, and then went full strength, obviously, Madrid trying to get something. With the game now, in essence, being a dead rubber, I'm not. I looked at the last game of the Europa League uh, group last season. We beat Betts three two, 
and like it was like Bane was in goals and yeah, like I'll, a I'll get the I'll get the lineup because I it was I remember wild. St- Stephen Bell scored for Celtic. Yeah, I want I want to say as Malia Soro also played for Celtic that night. I know Mikey Johnson did. did, and Albina Yeti. Yep. also did. Um, they all started. Um, McCarthy started. Liam Shaw started. Urugidi was at right back. Liam Scales at left back. Montgomery left winger. And then the subs that came on was like Henderson got a goal. Turnbull, Mikey Johnson, an assist. Um, so yeah, so I think the man and Beaton played centre back. <laughs> you know. Um, so I think the Madrid game, I think we get that kind of rotation against Madrid probably. Like Bernabe, it'll be great for some of these guys to get the minutes that maybe they haven't had to, so far. Maybe he plays a Bernabe bad Bernabe and the Bernabeu. How about that one? Eh? Yeah, Bernabe, Bernabe and the Bernabeu. Bernabeu. Uh, maybe Abada gets more minutes because he needs to still really cut his teeth at Champions League level compared to the rest of the forwards. He's just not got anywhere near the amount of minutes. The, the only issue I would say, Quinny, is in terms of you know both the Liga t- sides, game at Celtic Park probably is a lot different from going to one of the if not one of the greatest stadiums, if not the greatest stadium in world football. Yeah. And I think even if you're one of those guys who'd maybe be likely to drop out, I think every player will still want to play. And it's the only wee kind of thing I would say. And yeah. It could be a once in a lifetime experience for some of them to play at the, the Bernabeu. Um, but uh, again... I think you can still play Jota and Juranovic because I think, you know, that's shop window material, you know, um, <laughs> basically if they're fit. So I think there will be a, maybe not quite to the best extent, but with that in mind, I think Livingston at the weekend, he goes absolute full what he thinks is the, the best think team. So. That, yeah. I think you might change it about the hearts again. I, I can definitely see Burnaby and Ralston coming in. Ralston particularly due to the fact that if we go back to April time, I want to say, when we won 3-1 through there, he played players who I would say suited the fixture. Ralston came in in defence. Beaton came in in the middle. I'm sure Yakimaka started up top. And then Forrest. Yeah. I don't know if Forrest started was the game. I know he certainly scored, but I don't know if he started yeah. the game. So and the, it was the front three that started with Forrest, possibly. Maeda and Jota. Right, okay. Who Sorry. played through the middle? Maeda through the middle? Um, Maeda through the middle. Yeah. And it just kind of be beat on and Ralston and stuff. I thought we played the fixture a wee bit more. Do you think there's a possibility of doing that on, on Sunday? I certainly think Ralston as a player who, who suits this type of game. I was 100% thinking the same thing. I looked at the last two teams that we've played against Livingston and uh, Ralston's played in both of them. Both played very well. And Beaton played in both of them as well and both played very well. And I thought, when I seen that, I thought maybe there's a bit of room. Maybe Abelgaard starts because mm, if you want a big, tall defence, if that's what he thinks is the best way to win on that pitch. Um, and I see last time he started Maeda, Giacomacchus came off the bench for 15. O'Reilly and Rio both came off the bench with Abada as well. So that was the last time. And in the time before that, I think it was a draw, maybe 0-0 or something, or 1-1. Um, we, we, we get beat 1-0, didn't we? Because that was the hoodoo. Was the hoodoo stadium? 0-0. Oh, the last one away, sorry. Um, I was looking yeah. at the game at home. Um, but I'll try and find the one away. Um, and uh, no, I can't find it. Oh, no, I've, we get beat 1-0. James McCarthy certainly played for Celtic that day, I remember. Um I've went too I think far Stephen Bills was the person that got caught out at the back too. Um, but uh, there was a good few changes actually in the team. Remember, volleyball and goalie started for Celtic that day at Livingston? Oh, I found it. Yeah, that rings a bell. found actually. it. Bowling goalies there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. McCarthy started again as well. You know, big defensive mid in there. I guess uh, Beaton came off the bench. 
Uh, so yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Like with you know, I, I do think he plays the fixture away in the stadium because I think it's that type of fixture, you know, um, against quite a specific opponent, quite a specific venue, and all the rest of it, you know. So it looks like a jetty as well played in the in that one. So I don't think maybe fancies the wee man up front rather than a Jackie Marcus, but Jackie Marcus now is irresistible. I think he has to start. Oh, yeah. Especially with his power, you know, Livingston have always been a physical team, whether at Celtic Park or there. Yep. And I think for me, Yakimakis really suits this type of game. For me, when I'd be looking at, you know, consistency of the goalkeeper, the, the centre-half pair that we've seen, um, I'd probably bring in Ralston for this one. Yep. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he brings in Burnaby. I think that's something he's quite comfortable now doing, that if you change one full-back, you change both. Mm. Looking towards possibly playing Juranovic and Taylor in the Bernabeu. Um, and then, as well as that, you know, but with Yakimakis, that's been a real kind of be partnership. I've quite liked his Bernabe bombing down that left hand side, giving you that different outlet. And um, he seems to link up pretty well with, with Jacko. A person who I think will, will start at Livingston will be Aaron Moy. I think this is the kind of game that will probably suit him. Yeah. Um, I will guard an interesting shout whether he keeps O'Reilly in there. He could also be a chance for David Turnbull to possibly get some minutes in his legs too. Um, just thinking of that Matilda. And then, on that left hand side, he possibly might go with Maeda like he did at Hearts. Um, yeah. And interesting, you know, Jacko through the middle. And but James Forrest not playing starting the other night, I think you'd date James Forrest probably likely to start at Livingston. What's your thoughts on that? Because I actually said last week that indication that he kind of gives before and before games that you kind of know that maybe that, you know, the time Castle thought, oh, Yakimak has played 90 minutes, there's absolutely no chance of him starting against Shakhtar. There he was. Um, but do you think maybe like, Forrest, for instance, not starting against Shakhtar and Moy. It's a certainty that both start against Livingston on Sunday. Yeah, I think Moy comes in for a start as well. I think it's quite a difficult puzzle to put together the team. I think I make you right for the whole defence, except I'm probably going to edge for Taylor over Burnaby still. Um, Forrest, I think... He didn't starts... have his base game uh, at Tynecastle Burnaby. I don't know if that was just the yeah. atmosphere or, or, or whatever else, but he did look a wee bit zapped and I thought we looked far better. Um, when Greg Taylor came on I'm just thinking with that kind of rotation thing because the manager always does say one game at a time but Livingston Real Madrid they've got a home game against Dundee United that could be the game that maybe Bernabe plays isn't it yeah um, uh, yeah and he gets him some, some Champions League minutes as well I'm just looking at the midfield so again like in the heart like, like in the Hearts game, like Moy, O'Reilly and Rio all played 89 minutes together. It wasn't until the 89th minute until one of them came off for Abogard. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a limb, right? I'm gonna say Abogard, Moy, and I want to say Haksapanovic now. I think that might be the midfield three. And then it's Maeda, Jackie Marcus and Forrest up front, but I think that just sounds too crazy. So I think it will be Abogard, O'Reilly, and Moy. Okay. I think Abelgard, O'Reilly, Moy, and then front three of, I think Maeda starts somehow. I think Jackie Marcus is undroppable, and I think, yeah, Forrest, yeah. So I think Haxabanovich probably drops to the bench for this game, and I think Abelgard gets a start. Yeah, even again, you know... I'm going on a limb on that, you know, I'm trying to make a prediction with that rather than a safe one, you know. Listen, it's just trying to get an indication of where the manager's mind's at, probably from the previous game. Um, But kind of looking after this, we looked at this as a kind of... It was a monster batch of, of fixtures when we came back from this international break, kicking off with that game against Motherwell at the beginning of October. We're now nearly at the end of October. We've still got 
the game against Livingston on Sunday, but then go to the Bernabeu, that's European football out the way. It's in Dundee United at Celtic Park, and away trip to Firth Park, home to Ross County, then it's big line, John. First part, if you want to call it the season, done. See where we're at at it. There's plenty of chances for more minutes under the belt in those three those three domestic games, isn't there, against Dundee United, Motherwell and Ross County? Yeah. Um, and it's like... It, it, if we go on through this little part of the season and we start rocking out five, six goals a game or whatever, like then I think that's it would just be so typical. <laughs> it would just be so typical. But like, where was this golden touch two weeks ago? You know, kind of thing. So I'm quietly optimistic and hopeful in, in that sense. Um, I'm just not looking that, at this team again. Not, <laughs> not that you'd be, not that you'd be too uh, disappointed if we were thumping teams like that. No, no, far no. from it. Just in terms of, I want to go back to this, Quinny, because it was something that you said possibly last week or two weeks ago, Moritz Jens. Um, I'm certainly of the opinion that Celtic should sign him permanently. Yeah. But going forward, maybe possibly after the, the break, do you see Starfield coming back in to, to partner Cameron Carter-Vickers? I think Jens' performances over the last three games have been, like, stellar. Like, I think it's really hard for, um, like... I think it's really hard to see Starfield walking into the team. I don't think that's happening anymore. He'll definitely need to, like, yeah, his pass accuracy last night, uh, again, two nights ago, was phenomenal. He's looked really good. I don't think he's put a foot wrong in the Champions League at all. And I think domestically, like, yeah, sometimes he loses the ball, right? But I, I was saying this in the build-up to, to this game as well. Is See, when we're playing that keep ball, move from left to right and look for the opening to come, like we've been doing in the absence of Callum McGregor. At some point in a game, you need centre-backs to do one of two things, ideally one or two times in the match. One of them is do the Van Dyke thing, where they just step into midfield and they take 20 yards out the picture. Or they do the same thing, but with a pass. And Carter Vickers isn't either able or willing to do that, really. He doesn't, he doesn't like doing that at all. I don't think it's his role. I don't think He's just a muscle man. He just, yeah. he just stands there and sorts anybody out. Starfield has been good at that, but I think every time when people have levied massive criticism at Starfield and said, oh, he's, he's no da-da-da, it's when he's been in that role rather than just being a defender, as it were. So I think Jens, like, he does, for, for the, the partner to Vickers, I think he's, he's the best we've got. That's an interesting one. I am of the opinion that Starfield probably will come back in. But the thing that I'm, kind of, I'm probably most excited about is Jota getting back into that team, hopefully. Maybe after this week, I wouldn't be surprised to maybe see him get some minutes in the Bernabeu because it's probably the one he'll be wanting to get back and try and feature in. Um, but it's important that I think we've got those three kind of domestic games and it's free that you're looking at, you know, you're not having to travel too far to the Celtic Park one's just doing the, the motivating motherwell. So yeah. I think that's also a, a real positive for, for Celtic. Quinny, if we get to that break, Ross County, and we'll be on a couple of times, I think, before then, we're sitting at the top of the table. See, we've still got the, the cushion that we've got just now. I think it's four points. Um, I think I'd be fairly happy, even even though we're out of the Champions League. You know, we've got through that semi-final of the League Cup. We're at the top of the table, which is where you would hope it would be. The only be second point will be the Champions League. But to me, again, much like European football, it doesn't define Celtic season this year at all. No. Well, I, I don't know. I think... There was so much anticipation going into this season that the Champions League campaign will be forever kind of tied to whatever happens this season, unless we were going doing my trebles and whatever. But I don't know. It feels like, you know, I think we'll get the results. Again, looking at the form, like 
I was looking at this before we came on as well, right? See, over the last 15 games in the Champions League and the league, so over the last 15 games across those two competitions, the top um, the, the, the top person with actual assists is Maeda. The top goal scorer is Furuhashi on 10 goals. And like we have been doing really well in the league. You know, I think it's easily forgotten that, you know, like how well we started the season, that initial extra pre-season period. So, I say I, I can just see as kind of there, there were probably a bit of disappointment in amongst the group, but it's such a high competitive environment for starting eleven positions that, like you heard, like Forrest was saying, there's just no time to breathe, there's no time to move on, you know. So it's just back to the pump and let's get back at it. Yeah, and you're hoping that when we do get back at it at Livingston, the, the hoodoo for a start is off the back because it was becoming a bit ridiculous that you were going there dreading it and thinking, oh no. What's going to happen today? Um, yeah. We're we going to get beat. It's going to be a draw. It's going to be a terrible game to watch. You're hoping that hoodoo is now off your back and it's a ground that you go to, like Pataudry's been in recent years, like, you know, Tynecastle's become, that you go there fully confident that we're going to go out there and we're going to win the game and give them it, which just hasn't been the case. But it's going to be important that we go there and bounce back right away. Um, and also that, that victory at Tynecastle last week, Gives you that wee bit of breathing space that if anything does go wrong, we're hoping it doesn't crinny, that it won't affect you too much, if you know what I mean by that. Yeah, yeah, no, I get you. And again, with them drawing against Rangers last week, they'll be they'll be pretty buzzing with themselves, Livingston. They're not going to make it easy for us. But like the you know, the managers like again, like I think with some domestic situations, like the manager himself can go into these matches better prepared than we've done in the past. And I know um, like you see all the results with Livingston haven't been you know a loss and a draw in recent record is what we're talking about but yeah I think whatever team I think the manager picks a team to win this game like you mentioned at the very beginning like play the fixture Livingston away who comes in and um, you know so I, I feel expected to be a, a good result and again bearing in mind you know their kind of record or whatever I think if we score three goals it's a, it's a great result and if we can get a clean sheet it's a jackpot you know 3-0 for me you know absolutely Um as long as you're winning Sunday, I think I'll be delighted. I'm going to see Bob Dylan later that night too, so I'm hoping for oh, quite a good Sunday. I uh, rounded off before I head off to Madrid. So an exciting couple of days uh, for myself w- with that. Um, in terms of, you know, just going back for this last kind of five minutes, but we, we spoke quite at length about Champions League 20 mm-hmm. and about the inexperience which exists in the team. Um, that experience not being an overnight fix for someone that they had to take those scalps. How ambitious do you expect Celtic to be in January? And what do you think that means for this squad currently? I am I'm very excited about transfer potential in January because, again, I think we were talking about this last week, but like if you have 10 million quid, right, and who knows what the budget is, right? But if you get 10 million quid to go and get a player or two, then what position do you buy for? Because I do, I think Jens and Vickers, like, it would be pretty expensive to upgrade either of them. At fullback, again, like unless we're selling one of them, it feels a bit uh, redundant <laughs> get another one. Um, and then midfield, we're cold, we're, we're, when McGregor's fit, we're two to a position, you know, if you include um, even like the good Shane McCarthy who are knocking around the club still. So then when you go up to the up front, it's do you get another centre forward, like another real centre forward is then kind of maybe the shout. But people are telling me that's the position Kyogo plays and Kyogo can't play out wide or Kyogo can't play that kind of role he did on Tuesday. So then, you know, is that putting 
you know, so then is that folly? Because uh, equally, because then you've got Kyogo and Jackie who are going to keep this new signing out, probably. So if you're going to go and spend big on the team and upgrade a position, I really struggle to imagine where you go. It could be possible that the the deal gets done in January. Um, if somebody pay for more change, okay. obviously, and that's three yeah, million yeah. quid. So that could be part of the January spending. I don't know if that'll be in with the budget or whatever. That could be one. You might be looking possibly at you know other markets that Celtic's not exposed. Um, and and looking possibly as well, we're going to have a World Cup where there's going to be a lot of eyes and particularly some of our players. Juranovic, I think it's going to be one of them. Um, I know people were very frustrated with, with him the other night when he didn't, you know, hold down Mudrich or whatever, but it's done, draw the line with it. But if he performs well for Croatia at the World Cup, there's going to be people sniffing. And even if he doesn't depart the club, whether it's in January, whether it's next summer, because we don't want to be selling off our top quality talent, Quinny, it's still important that we're planning ahead with these guys. And that might be the step that we're already taking in January, that possibly somebody comes in that is going to, be their replacement or, or whatever and it's not a case of waiting to the last minute bring them and then try and get them better into the team and stuff that they're there they're playing and they're ready to go whenever that point comes yeah and I think we've got a lot of like, bedrock players in the team like that we've recently acquired that over the next three years if people do leave there's other guys that are not really in that same jeopardy guys like Moy and Ralston and Taylor and of course McGregor maybe throw Turnbull into that depending on his form and your transfer profile, as it were. Um, so I think we're in a really good position now to, to kind of do continue that kind of vein. But it's just been you hear the manager talking about the transfers. He's like, no, we are like not messing around. We already are moving forward, and we always want to improve and get better and stronger. Like that just excites the crap out of me because when you think about some of the signings we brought in from Japan, Argentina, Bernabe, um, and even going into Russia to get Abogard and Haksabanovic. It's been nice areas. It's been nice places to go and get bargains from. And if we're still going to be shopping with that kind of... Um, mindset. That mindset. That mindset. But with a bit of a better... So, like, for example, and again, I was looking at this in preparation for, for today, but like guys like Maeda, Rio Patati and whatever, they actually have all played Asian Champions League for what that's worth prior to coming to Celtic also. Bernabe, on the other hand, of course, as we know, was a youth backup bench guy that we've seen something in and we've tried to grab him before he goes hot. Mm-hmm. Next time we go into these markets again, I would like to see if we are going to be pulling somebody out. Again, it's somebody that has a bit more of a, oh, wow, this guy actually cost 10 million quid and we had to fight off PSV and Benfica for him or something. You know, that's, you know, if we are going to be going into those markets, that's the kind of transfer that would really signal to me like, wow, that's a, you know, we're we're really um, trying to match up with what, what has been demonstrated to be how to build a squad that can compete the way we want one to. Yeah, no, absolutely. I totally agree with that. It's going to be interesting to see what Celtic do in January. We're still a long way off from there, but I think it it blends into the conversation that we've had with Champions League next year because the, the plans in place to go into Champions League next year and compete will, will begin in January. Um, probably already begun. We know they've begun, actually, with comments that the manager's spoken about, about Mark Lowell. Um, getting those players down and again it blends into the conversation that we had earlier on about infrastructure ambition at Celtic and really going for it and trying to take us that level up that we need to be consistent at this level um, Quinny I think we'll maybe yourself solo next week or maybe with another guest on because I'll be in my my holidays off to sunny Spain um, so 
might be the last time we're talking Champions League on here. It's been a pleasure over these group stages to be chatting about it. We'll be back with plenty of content. Um, I might be absent next week, but we'll certainly be back after that with a kind of run into the last fixtures. And we'll try and be here throughout the World Cup. We've got some exciting plans um, that we're kind of drawing up early on just now to get into that. So thanks as always to all our regular listeners, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you're listening to. Hail, hail, and thank you for listening to the Silks are here weekly.